Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this good day. A good Sunday. We're thankful for it. A good weekend. We finished up spring break and you have, you have shown out this weekend, Father, with this weather and the sunshine from yesterday and today. And we're right now thinking of your goodness. We thank you, God, for the music and uh, the change up of being led by the piano only and how uh, wonderful that was. But Father, now we come to what we know to be the most important part, the opening of your word. We ask, God, that as your word is opened and explained, that you would open our hearts and minds. Give us faith, God. Give us faith that we would follow hard after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. You can use a pew Bible if you'd like to. That's page 930 in the pew Bible. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10's been a good chapter for us. We've covered a lot. We've still got a long way to go. There's a lot in this chapter. and started heavy, and it's staying heavy, although the subject has changed. Today we're looking at the rich young man, a parallel passage we read from Luke 18 that, that Drew came up and read. But this is a good passage because we've got a lot of interest when somebody asks just point blank, quite frankly, what do I got to do to go to heaven? That's the question all of us are asking, and to some extent, that's the reason why we're here today. What do I got to do to go to heaven? And that's the question that this rich young man asks. But as you'll notice, this this passage is stuck in between um, a passage where Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. That's, That's next week. And then right before it is the passage where Jesus talks about children, and we see his love for children. If you were here last week, you remember me preaching on uh, the next generation and why are young people so important, and we have that there. Yesterday, we had a fantastic time. The weather could not have been more ideal. Uh, One of my favorite things about our church is how uh, hardworking and serving and how many people there are who like to do that. There were so many of you all who came yesterday and worked and served and volunteered uh, it was outstanding. We, we had so many people. We had uh, thousands and thousands of eggs and, and bag lunches, and it, and it just went great. And I got to stand up there on the football field yesterday and, and talk to them for just a few minutes from the Bible about, about Jesus. And I was reminding them that there's something special about Easter because it brings those things together. Like Christmas, kids like Easter. Kids like Easter. We had a group of kids over at our house yesterday for a birthday party, and I sat down, all 10 or 12 of them, and I started asking them, what's Easter all about? They said eggs and candy and fun and friends, and I said, no, that's not what it's about. I said, what's Easter all about? It's not about eggs and candy. And they said, well, it's about treating people the right way. It's about being a good neighbor. They were saying all of these answers, and nobody got around to talking about the resurrection until finally we, we started letting some of the, the older kids answer. But you see, you and I know what Easter's really about, right? It's about the resurrection of Jesus. It's about this. God died for us and now he lives. But it's also about some other things. It is about 
Easter bunnies and candy and Easter egg hunt. Now, that may not be the most important part to you, but go down here to Walmart right now, and you're going to see all of those things, and somebody would ask, why are those out? And you'll say, well, because it's Easter. And Easter brings with it things that children like and things that really, really matter, like a Savior. And I'm thankful that here in Mark chapter 10, we have all of that. I'm not not having to go looking, listen to me, I'm not having to go looking through the Bible to see if I can find something to help me preach on kids. I'm not having to find something to help me preach on on Jesus. It's all right here in the Gospel of Mark. And what makes it even cooler from my perspective, you've noticed, I haven't even had to deviate from where we're at. I'm just going step by step, and by the amazing grace and providence of God, next week, Easter Sunday, I'm going to stay right here in Mark chapter 10, because if you look at verse 34, Jesus says this, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, is that not where we're supposed to be next week? Yes, it is. And is it not Easter Sunday? Yes, it is. I thought it was awesome yesterday. Our church was able to do this big Easter egg hunt. And I'll I'll be honest, we we don't apologize for this. We don't want anything in return for that. We weren't out there trying to beg them to come to our church or anything like that. We want to serve serve the community. We want the kids to have a great time. We want the families to be blessed. We want them to know that we're here to, to be a blessing. I didn't, and I spoke to hundreds and hundreds of people. I didn't invite one person to church yesterday. Now, I had some people come up and ask questions about the church. but We don't want anything in return for that. We want to be a blessing. But in that, I was able to say to those people, the Bible tells us that God loves children, that God is focused on children, and that same God in the same chapter died for our sins and rose again. And that's what life's all about. And it's fun to be a dad, and it's enjoyable to be a pastor to pull all that together. Well, in between those two passages, we have the passage of the rich young ruler. In Mark, he's called the rich young man. It doesn't tell us that he's a a ruler. This passage is found in all, all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of them tell it. We read from Luke 18, it's in Matthew 19, and here it is in Mark 10. They all tell the same story, and they're very, very similar. There aren't many differences. Matthew is the one in 19 that tells us that he was young. Luke's the one in chapter 18 who tells us that he was a ruler. And Mark here is the one who tells us that he was wealthy. What I like about this is that it seems that in all of our parenting, that every young lady and every mom or dad are looking for a rich young ruler for their daughter, right? You know, we ask questions, is he nice, he treats you good, is he educated is he good looking and then we get to does he have a job and how much money does he have and is he going to take care of you those things matter to us right and I'm not saying that's wrong I can't wait for Carolina to find a rich young ruler (laughs) but as you'll see in this passage today it's not at all the most desirable characteristic it's not at all the best thing it's not at all what matters in life not at all what impresses Jesus. And listen to me. It's not enough. It's not enough for you to be a rich, young, successful man. It's not enough. 
And our passage is going to tell us that. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a rich young ruler. But what matters is, are you focused on God? So let's read here. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he, that's Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to him, Well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Good passage, isn't it? Long one, but a good one. Yet again, like many places in the Gospels, the Bible speaks for itself. We could stop right now and many of you all would be heavily impacted at the truth of the Bible. The seriousness of it and yet the, the impact of it. Today I want to cover this passage by giving you these three thoughts. Number one... We tend to think too highly of ourselves. We tend to think too highly of ourselves. Number two, we tend to think too lowly of God. We tend to think too lowly of God. And then number three, because of those thoughts, we do think inaccurately about salvation. We do think inaccurately about salvation. Number one, we tend to think too highly of ourselves. 
This passage is is loaded, and I'm not sure what part of this passage struck you the most, but I want to begin by painting you this picture that Jesus is on the go, as he often is in Mark, right? Jesus on the go, verse 17 says he, he was setting out, and he was on his journey, and a man ran up to him. So picture, Jesus is traveling with the disciples, he's on the, he's on the go somewhere, and you hear some guy coming up, you hear, you hear footsteps behind you, and Jesus turns around, and the man falls down, and he's at his feet, and he says, sir, good teacher, what do I got to do to go to heaven? What's it going to take? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a neat setting, right? Beautiful picture. He's come to one who has the answer, and you and I know that. We're not exactly sure why he came to him. We do know that Jesus now was a very polarizing, fascinating figure, greatest teacher ever, something special about him, been doing miracles, lovely guy. We know that, but he's come, and he he asks that. He's fallen at Jesus' feet, and what what do I got to do? And he called him good teacher. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And we're going to talk about that again in a minute. But Jesus', is, Jesus response is not to answer his question first, but to kind of uh, investigate a little bit of why are you calling me good? And there's a lot to be understood there. But then Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he quotes some. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus left out some, didn't he? Jesus left out some of the Ten Commandments, as you can recognize. And perhaps he uh, set the young man up. And we'll talk about that again in a little bit. But then here's his answer. Verse 20. He said, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. If it was 2017, I picture Jesus going, Really? Have you? But Jesus didn't do that. The young man asserts, rich young man, rich young successful man, rich young leading ruler man says, all of these I've kept from my youth. This man thought of himself as being obedient. Not obedient in the circle of his friends, but obedient in the eyes of God. We tend to think too highly of ourselves. If somebody asked you, do you obey the Ten Commandments? Is your answer more on the side of, yeah, 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 actually I do? Or no, 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 not, not at all. The question here is eternal life. The question here is advancing from this life to the next. That's the, that's the subject. And Jesus brings up the commandments. Don't we prefer for nobody really bring up the commandments when we're talking about our personal lives? I mean, y'all don't like us to bring up how are you doing with sexual purity? It's awkward for you to bring that up in any setting. What, what type of setting is it good to bring that up? What about, what about lying? These are some of the commandments here. What about honoring mom and dad? Being aware of what their expectations are, being aware of what their rules are, and then wanting to do that. We don't like to bring these up, right? I wonder when was the last time Jake preached on the Ten Commandments and honoring father and mother to the youth. Maybe he has. 
But this man's answer is unlike what I, thought, what I would think our answer would be. And he says, all these I have kept from my youth. And one of the fascinating things about this passage is Jesus doesn't say to him, you're wrong. If it was you or I, we'd have been in an argument right away, right? We would have pushed right back and said, oh, you're, you're crazy. What about this? You're telling me you don't ever do this? But Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't even respond to that. The man asserts that he's obeyed all of the commandments his entire life since his youth, and Jesus doesn't even answer it. Jesus just comes to point out, well, you still don't have salvation. You still don't have eternal life. He says to him in one of the most memorable passages in the Bible, there's still one thing you lack. There's still one thing you lack, and I can't wait to tell you what that one thing is. Folks, we tend to think too highly of ourselves. And here's where I know that. I don't necessarily know that he's thinking too highly of himself because he says this, because listen to me, I don't want to beat you all down. Isn't it true that there are a lot of well-behaved, obedient people in society? Yes. And I hope we're raising our children to do that. Our children need to do the right thing. Every single morning when I drop our kids off at school, every single morning, every single morning, I say, hey, you be a leader today. What do leaders do? And the answer is, do the right thing. Leaders do the right thing. We should be raising our children. We should be teaching society and the people around us that we are to do the right thing. Obedience is a good thing. But obedience to God is not where anybody gets eternal life. Well, eternal life would be available with complete, holistic, perfect, holy obedience, but nobody has that. And so what I want you to see here is this man may be a man who, raised in the Jewish tradition, has been taught to obey with excellent teaching and parents and family influence. He may be one of these kids who has truly walked the line. He may be able to recall that he's never told a lie in his memory. He may be able to say, I haven't committed adultery. He may be one of those who always does obey his parents. Jesus doesn't go back against that. Remember Paul, a totally different setting. The Apostle Paul, a persecutor of Christians in Philippians chapter 3 said that he was more obedient than anybody else. He was zealous for obedience in the law. He said that he was more righteous on self-righteousness than anybody else. Let's don't kid ourselves. There are good, behaving, well-mannered, polite people out there in the world who do the right thing so many times. There are. That's not eternal life. That's not salvation. You probably remember that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus brings up these commandments and takes it outside of the external, the physical outside of the body and starts applying it to the heart. Jesus says, if you've lusted, then that is committing adultery in your heart. Jesus says, if you've ever hated, that is committing murder in your heart. This man didn't know that. This rich young ruler didn't know that. And yet Jesus doesn't even go into all of that with him. Jesus knows the man doesn't have eternal life. Listen to me. The man knows he doesn't have eternal life. The man who's thinking highly of himself, proud of his obedience, knows he doesn't have eternal life. Folks, you need to know this about all the people that are around you. The conscience bears witness inside of us that we are not right with God. 
And the only thing the sinful, flawed human knows to do is to keep thinking more highly of themselves and more highly of themselves and more highly of himself, and it never cleanses the conscience. Our guilty conscience is longing for somebody to pat us on the back and say, brother, you've got eternal life. God must be impressed with you. But nobody that really knows the grace of God would ever say that. Because eternal life comes from the mercy of God and the forgiveness of sins at the cost of Jesus' life. And so it is a sinful, flawed perspective to continue thinking more highly of ourselves. How do I see that? Look down at verse 22. After Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, verse 22, the man was disheartened by the saying. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The man thought highly of himself. He was proud of his obedience. He had hoped, I imagine, he had hoped that in his running after Jesus and falling down before him and saying, Teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That the man, that Jesus would have said to him, Obey God, man. Just do your best. Treat people the right way. Love God, love people. Some of the stuff that everybody in the world says today. And if they would have said that, or if Jesus would have said that, the man would have said, Thank you, because that's what I'm doing. And isn't that what all of the people around us keep patting themselves on the back with? Love God, love people. Yep, you're right. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to do. Just Just trying to do my best every day. Keep loving God and loving people. That's the baloney that you and I keep hearing from everybody around us. On what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus hears this good, well behaved, successful, rich young ruler. Ask him about eternal life. Jesus brings up the commandments. The man says, well, I've obeyed all of those. Jesus doesn't even answer. Tells him he still lacks one thing. The man is then sorrowful, disheartened, and walks away. Because the message of God, folks, on what must we do to inherit eternal life is to turn away from thinking highly of ourselves and embrace Jesus Christ, the God-man, as a personal Lord and Savior. And until anybody, rich young ruler or poor, broke, dumb person, either one, until you come to Christ and say, be my Savior, I need you, God, forgive me of my sins. Until you do that, you are thinking too highly of yourself. This man with his obedience, this man with his success, walked away sad. Because his thoughts on himself did did not line up with what God told him to think. J.C. Ryle says, let us beware of this state of mind. So long as we think that we can keep the law of God, Christ profits us nothing. If Jesus had said to him, "Obey, just keep on obeying, brother, he would have not needed Jesus to die on the cross. If Jesus had said to him, well, you just keep doing what you're doing then, then Jesus would not have even made it to the cross or needed the resurrection. You see how off this is? 
I told y'all a few weeks ago, listen to me, in the idea of tending to think too highly of ourselves, I told y'all that it is a much better spiritual indicator to say, I'm not that good, than it is to keep saying, I'm not that bad. When somebody continues to tell you or, or tell themselves, hey, I'm not that bad of a person, that's a bad spiritual indicator. Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sins. So when you say, I'm not that good, that's a good sign. Only God is good. We do tend to think too highly of ourselves. I remember one time I was meeting with a family, and this was years ago, and it was a family that wasn't connected to the church, and we were planning for a funeral, and they said this, and I know you've heard it before. I've heard it a handful of times. But I want you to think about it in this, in this point that we think too highly of ourselves. I was with the family planning a funeral, and they said this to me. He was the nicest man. If this man isn't in heaven, then no one will be there. You've heard people say that before, haven't you? Where does that thinking come from? That niceness, goodness, those type of personal characteristics are enough or the, the measuring rod for heaven. You know what we know about the rich young ruler? He was the nicest man. He always honored his mother and father. He never committed adultery. He never murdered. He never stole. He never bore false witness. He never defrauded anyone. And he was a good guy. A stand-up community citizen. They would have wanted him to coach youth league ball. Such a good guy. Didn't have eternal life. Folks, we tend to think too highly of ourselves. But not only do we think too highly of ourselves, but we also tend to think too lowly of God. We think of God as one who will approve us of how good we are. That's exactly what this young man was looking for. This young man thought he possessed what would get him eternal life. And he was just hoping that like the, the gatekeeper of, the, of heaven would just say, you are good enough and I've got the power to say yes or no to come in, so come on in. That's not what God is. Since when have we started to think of God so wrongly as that? He comes to him and he's seeking eternal life. He says to him in verse 17, good teacher, he calls him that, right? And you, you like that title. He was good and he was a good teacher, but Jesus sniffed it out right away. And Jesus wouldn't let it pass. Jesus had to ask him another question before he got to the, the main question. He said, why do you call me good? Because there's a whole sermon in the adjective before teacher, right? There's a whole sermon for you and I to think through right there. Why is he calling him good? Is he calling him good because he's relating to him like, hey, man, you're a good guy around town, and I'm a good guy around town. I got respect for you, man. We're kind of on the same level. Is it that type of good? Is it good because he, he knows that, that God is the only one that is good, and he's recognizing that Jesus is God? And so in this description as good teacher, he's meaning God Almighty. Jesus is God. Is that what he's meaning? 
Is he meaning good teacher because he knows himself to be so flawed on the inside? He knows his wicked heart like the Bible describes our heart. He knows that he is, is, is a sinner through and through. And so he's recognizing Jesus not being like that. And so he's saying to him, good teacher, why is he calling him good? And Jesus sniffed it out and he said that. But now look at verse 20. He dropped the good, didn't he? Verse 20, he said to him, teacher, already it's changed. Jesus didn't answer his question fast enough when he said, good teacher, so he'll leave good off, and let's just cut to the chase. Teacher, he didn't call him good. He also didn't call him good when he was telling him how good he was. Do you see that, verse 20? Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Almost like, just tell me that I am doing good enough. Well, the commandments, how you doing? Teacher, I've kept them all. We tend to think too lowly of God. It seems like the man was thinking of eternal life as just being the next life or or just being uh, die and where do I go or take me from here to something good when I'm finished, something like that. But I want to remind you, and I think you know this, you've heard it before, but eternal life in the scriptures is so much more than just living forever. It's so much more than just going to heaven. Eternal life in the Bible is a loaded, loaded statement. John MacArthur says, more than just eternal existence, it is a different quality of life. Some of y'all remember that John 17 says that eternal life is right now when you know Jesus. It's a different quality of life, he says. Eternal life is in Christ alone. Those who possess it have passed out of death and into life. When you have Christ, you have eternal life. They have died to sin, and they are alive to God. We now hate sin, and we love God. They have the very life of Christ in them, and they enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ that will never end. This is eternal life, and I think he didn't understand that. He was meaning eternal life based off of his thoughts of what eternal life are, and he hadn't even considered to be informed by Jesus' New Testament idea of eternal life. We tend to think too lowly of God. If you jump down a little bit, Jesus gets into this talk about um, it's hard for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are so, listen to me, the disciples are so taken back by Jesus' strong comments about how hard it is for somebody to get to heaven that they ask strongly in verse uh, 26, then who can be saved? It's almost like an exasperated Jesus. You've seriously made, listen to me, you've seriously made the hole to get into heaven as narrow as possible. And yes, Jesus said the eye of a needle, which is super teeny or tinier than anything my hand could do. And the disciples are just like, well, come on. We're sitting here trying. I mean, this guy's trying. We've been reading the Bible. We know what the commandments are. We're trying to live for you. You've made the doorway into heaven the smallest thing we could ever think of, Jesus. Jesus said, oh, no, I haven't. There are some things that fit through the eye of a needle. And Jesus says to that, there's nothing you do that gets you through the eye of the needle. Impossible. Everybody see that? Then who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. 
this is where we see that we think too lowly of God. Because the more and more that we continue to think about us making us right with God, we're misunderstanding God. Y'all, God is so much bigger than us. So much wiser, so much better. And we need to understand that. We need to realize what the Bible teaches that uh, God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways and his mind is so much greater than ours. And we need to really dwell, sit, uh, take up residence, marinate, if you will, in that position of God being greater than us. Because as long as we are so self-absorbed and self-thinking and only allowing your thoughts or those around you who think like you to inform your understanding of God, it's so flawed, it's so cloudy, it's such a muddy water that we're not thinking rightly about God. Sometimes we think too lowly of God when we think about God, but most of the time we think too lowly about God because we don't think about God. And some of y'all think, well, when I do think about God, I say he's huge. He's the creator. Yeah, but you only think about that like once a month. If then, when do you actually think about God and how he's going to let you into heaven and what's it going to take to get there and what he says all about it? See, we just think too lowly of God. As this guy did. But what we know about this guy is he had, he had not been thinking too lowly about himself. Matter of fact, sounds like he thought a lot about himself. He was ready to assert back, I've kept all of these from my youth. So he had been thinking, perhaps he had been anticipating what Jesus would say. What must I do to inherit eternal life was his question. And perhaps like a good thinker or a good arguer, or a good philosopher, he had already thought about what they were going to say, right? That's what you're supposed to do. If I say this, what might they answer back so that I can answer back to that? All right? That's how thinkers are supposed to think. And he was ready to say, well, I have. I have kept all of those. And with that high thought of himself and with that low thinking of God, look what it says. Verse 21. Jesus looking at him, laughed. No, but I think we would. Jesus, looking at him, frowned and shook his head. No, but I I think that we would. Jesus, looking at him, smacked him and said, you are a fool. No, but I think we would. And and listen, this passage is often overlooked. I've not heard many people talk about verse 21 before. What does the Bible say? Please take notice. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Y'all, that's what God's like. A proud, self-righteous guy. Asserts some really foolish things before God in the idea of what must I do to inherit eternal life. He says, I've kept them all, meaning I don't need a savior. Jesus has already been predicting that he's going to die on the cross. The Old Testament, which this young man is skilled in, is full of predictions about your savior will come. He wants nothing to do with the savior. He wants, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Instead of Jesus saying, 
anything forceful or pushback or argumentative or, hey, don't try to act like I ain't important or, or anything like that, looked at him and loved him. If you limped here today with a broken heart, Jesus looks at you and loves you. If you rolled in here with your chest out thinking that you're all that and then some, if you came here today with your heart raging against the Lord and you're here but you would readily admit, I'd rather not be here. Jesus looks at you and he loves you. One commentator says, we may boldly tell the chief of sinners that Christ loves them. Salvation is ready for the worst of people if they will come to Christ. And I know, church, over the last few weeks, we looked at some heavy stuff on the temptation of sin. I gave you all a double dose on divorce and marriage and remarriage. I know that the Bible is strong on sin. And I know that oftentimes the Bible will convict us and break us down to our knees. And that is not bad if you know that Jesus loves you. And that in his love for you, he gave up his life on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. Now let me point out a few things. And remember I said earlier that maybe Jesus set this young man up? Jesus, when he was talking about the commandments, named several But don't you remember in the Ten Commandments, there's a little split in the Ten Commandments? The first four commandments have to do with who? God. And the last six commandments have to do with who? People. The last six commandments are honor your father and mother, do not commit adultery, do not uh, commit, uh, 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 do not kill, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and do not covet. That's the last six, right? All of those deal with our relationships with people, just with people. Jesus didn't mention any of the first four. You shall have no other God. You shall not worship anything else other than God, especially created things. You shall never take the Lord's name in vain. No OMGs, no GDs, no sweet baby Jesuses. All of that is sin against God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You must rest. I wonder what he would have said if Jesus would have happened to name those four. The passage would have been different, wouldn't it? the story would have been different. If God tells you that I'm what you're supposed to be worshiping, surely you're not going to say, did it? Ever since my youth, I've done it completely. He thinks too highly of himself. He thinks too lowly of God. And that's a problem. And when you think too highly of yourself and you think too lowly of God, lastly, you will think inaccurately about salvation. 
you will get it wrong. And when I say salvation, I mean the full scale of all things under the umbrella of salvation. I mean church. I mean Bible. I mean obedience. I mean the Ten Commandments. I mean everything. You will think wrongly about those things if you don't think rightly about yourself and think rightly about God. This is why when we teach you time and time again about the four points of the gospel, the first point is not you. The first point is God and that he's holy. And the second point is you and that's you and that you're sinful. And then we say that's a problem. Because until you recognize God and who he is, you and who you are, and that's a big problem, you'll never get to the next step of why did Jesus die? Or how do I need Jesus? Or what can I do? Or what's the answer? You remember in the book of Acts when they would go around preaching the big strong gospel and God was working through it and the Holy Spirit was convicting people of their sins? Their answer then was, what must I then do to be saved? A similar question. But it wasn't because they thought it was in them. It's because they had been convinced it wasn't in them. And they were wanting the apostles to tell them, what is it then that will save me? And the answer was, repent and believe in Jesus. Because you are thinking wrongly about you and wrongly about God if you're doing anything else in life except coming to Christ and saying, Father, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. We think inaccurately about salvation. You know, sometimes we try to get cute and we, we want to make salvation be like a ticket, right? And we say things like Jesus is the ticket or, or whatever, but, but it's really not that way. And I'm wanting you to point out that we just don't think right about God. We try to do all these little things and try to make it so simple and, and apply it to our lives that we just get wrong about it. I've been to so many things where they take a ticket and I don't ever keep the ticket. Nobody cares about the ticket. So let's stop saying that Jesus is the ticket. When we make it like having a ticket, then we, then we get it wrong. We took the kids this week, it was spring break, to play laser tag and went to main event where you play laser tag and, uh, and, and it was cool and we were glad to be there but we got there, we went on a Monday night and it was packed and we got there and they said, well there's a two to three hour wait to play laser tag. I was like, man, I said, kids, we're not playing laser tag tonight. So I went and we started doing some other stuff, they're playing video games, I waited about 15 minutes and I went back and I said, still two or three hour wait? He said, oh, actually it's only down to 30 minutes now. Which I don't know how that worked, but anyway. He says only 30 minutes now. I say, well, let's, let's get some laser tag. So I got laser tag for him. And the guy says, here you go. You, you check your watch, check the clock. Y'all need to be in line by 8.30. So it's this big, complicated thing. A lot of people there. We needed to be in line for laser tag at 8.30. I had been to the, to the desk many times, paid all this money, done this, done that. We got laser tag set up. We got the kids over there. They're in line. And there's all types of people in line. They got this young teenage boy work, working the door. And our kids are there, they got the ticket, they got the receipt, they got the time. I mean, I'm stressed out over them playing laser tag. And then it comes time and the guy opens the door. And the kids right in front of them walk up to the door and the guy's like, your ticket? Oh, we don't have a ticket. Well, what time are y'all signed up for? Oh, we're not signed up. Well, how y'all gonna play? Like, we didn't know, we just saw laser tag, so we just came over here and got in line. And the guy goes, well, I just going in. And I thought, oh, brother. I'm stressed out over this, paid all this money, thought we weren't going to play, told the kids we couldn't play, went back to the desk, found out we could play. You know, all of that, and it worked. Here's my point. 
I'm not saying heaven's like that. I'm not saying heaven's not like that. I'm not saying that's right or that's wrong. I'm saying when we try to start thinking about heaven on those type of terms, get the ticket, enter the right way, that we're wrong. We're thinking wrongly about it. There is no real application or illustration for the way you get into laser tag, the right way or the wrong way, that connects to heaven. Here's what the Bible says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Look back here. It says in verse 21, and I hope this will rock your world, and then we will be done. It says here in verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. What was the one thing he lacked? Don't answer out loud. What was the one thing that he lacked? The last word in the verse. What is it? Somebody say it out loud. Me. He didn't have Jesus. He had a heart for doing well. He had a heart for looking to God. He had a heart for God to tell him, pat on his back, you did it. Some of y'all thought that the one thing was sell all you have and give to the poor, right? And you didn't know how to connect A to B on how that's Christianity. You didn't know how to connect A to B on how that's salvation. And you were still confused. Jesus wasn't looking for this guy to necessarily go and sell every single thing he possibly has. He wouldn't have been able to sleep that night. Jesus was looking for him to put all things under God and make Christ Lord. Jesus was looking for him to go back to the Ten Commandments that says, you shall have no other gods before me, and to be reminded my wealth is more important to me than my God. And in being reminded, be convicted. You may come to church and you may have been baptized or read your Bible or this, folks. And I may even be your pastor. That'd be a problem. And you may even want me to be your pastor. Listen, if Christ is not your A1, 101, top dog, priority, king, God, master, savior, treasure, Lord of your life, you will never see the kingdom of God. You will not inherit In the most beautiful of passages, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's one thing you lack, me, Jesus. And if you're still thinking highly of yourself, then maybe you don't need him. And if you're still thinking lowly of him, then maybe you don't need him. But when you come to be honest with who you are, you come to know who he is you'll say give me Jesus he's a good savior may you trust in him today let's pray father father thank you that we can learn from this man's life that we need you God, forgive us for thinking too highly of ourselves. Be patient with us, God, for thinking too lowly of you. And, oh, God, please don't let us think wrongly or inaccurately about salvation. May we come to you for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.